This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Welcome to this podcast edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. In this one-on-one interview, Kathy chats with Madeleine Oné, Artistic Director of Hong Kong Ballet, on the occasion of the company's National Arts Center debut. Madeleine is a former principal dancer and artistic director of the Royal Swedish Ballet. She joined Hong Kong Ballet in 2009. So, I've actually learned, I think, how to pronounce your last name. Madeleine Ona? Is that Onne. right? Onne. I told you my Swedish is terrible. Welcome. <laughs> well, it's not a very Swedish name. No. Mm. What is it then? What is the origin? It was my father. He was His name was Rosenson, which wasn't so good during the war. So he, he tried to find another name and he found it in a Dutch dictionary. It was Onnes. Okay. And he thought, okay, take away the end. And there we are. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, now you are living very far away from home, mm-hmm. it seems, uh, as the Artistic Director of Hong Kong Ballet. Um, before we get to the company, which of course is in the National Arts Centre now and on a three or four week tour right now? Three week tour. Fantastic. Um, the company, of course, has made its debut uh, the first week of March with a mixed rep program and the ballet Sleeping Beauty and will follow with various cities in Canada and the United States. So we will talk about the company, but let's go back to you being a young dancer in Stockholm. Tell me about how dance came into your life and how you how you fell into that fantastic, uh, fantastic career. I, I never chose to dance. The dance chose me, I think, because whenever I heard music, I was dancing. I have pictures from the age of two and a half where I'm dancing. So uh, the neighbors, we lived in an old house, so the neighbors complained that I made too much noise and my mother put me in ballet school and and there we go. And then I never really thought about it. It's uh, I'm lucky to have my passion as my occupation and, and even luckier that I could continue after my body said that it was enough of being on stage. But there must have been a moment there, and, and I love that story that it found you. I think that's that's many artists' truest talent, that they listen to that voice. Was there a moment there, though, when you realized it's a rigorous career being a ballerina and you've danced some of the great roles? So that's just not recreational. That's very uh, high-level dedication. I've been thinking about it. It was just, you know, in the beginning, it's just you you run around and you're playing little elves or whatever. I think I did that <laughs> in my basement, too. <laughs> and then, then I took ballet classes. My father knew someone, and that lady said that, you know, Madeline can never be a professional dancer because her shoulders are up by her ears. So, but I continued, and then I, I uh, tried for the Royal Swedish Ballet School, and I entered at the age of nine. And then uh, I just, I, no, honestly, I never thought about it until it was time to get a contract with the company. And we were six girls, and we were told there was only one contract. So it was a fight that last year that was amazing. We worked so hard, all of us, 
and they arranged six contracts. Amazing. They realized they couldn't lose these girls. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. And everyone has been quite successful, and uh, most of them are still in dance of some kind. That's very rare because we think of the hierarchy of mm. ballet, particularly for the women, mm. as being sort of nasty competitive. Yes, and, and in a way it was. But for us it was good. It pushed us to our limits. And and uh, everyone is still... It's just two girls that are not in ballet today. One ended up in the Paris Opera. And one is was the, uh, what do you call it, associate director in Gothenburg, um, one is something else with modern dance. It's it's amazing. So you went on to be a principal dancer, also yeah. not an accomplishment that every ballerina has under her belt. Um, tell me about that and the roles that you that you performed. Some of the highlights from that period in your life. I was lucky that Yuri Kilian worked a lot in Sweden because the artistic director at that time he was the first one offering Yuri to do a ballet outside. Who Holland. was the director then? Ivo Kramer. Okay. And uh, I was 19 when Yuri came to Stockholm to, to stage his stool game, and he, he chose me for the, the main part there. And after that, I did Juliet the same year, and then it just, boom, it, it rolled on. And um, it's quite good. I have a very bad scoliosis. I have 57 degrees of scoliosis. So the doctors used to tell me that I can't dance, and they have to make my, you know, they have to do surgery to make my, my back straight. But I met a good professor who said, Madeline, we can try. You know, do you really want to dance or do you want to have a straight back? So I said, <laughs> no discussion what I want to do. Uh, so he said, OK, we'll check you yearly and we'll see where we go. And, and um, yeah, it worked. But it, it, It's probably why you didn't become a Cunningham dancer, where they really yes. need that straight back. And you, have the, you can have all the flow and grace of, of a ballerina with a lot of, did it give you more flexibility, the scoliosis, or was it always a limit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can move a lot to one side yes. and I can't move much to the other. Mm -hmm. But it was also, I was lucky to have um, the the ability to to act and make people believe in what I was doing because mm -hmm. being in the court of ballet would not have been easy because I cannot do everything. It's right. just impossible. Right. Do you have a favorite role? I have two or three. Juliet is my absolute favorite. I think it was fantastic. And to be 19 years old and do Macmillan's Juliet and oh, all beautiful. the people around me were like 44 or something because we retire late in Sweden. It, it, it was fantastic. And then in the very end of my career, I did Katarina uh, uh, in, in Taming of the Shrew. Oh, Francos. So I've done a lot of different things, but those roles were a lot fun because I like to act. Mm -hmm. That's great, and a great Romeo and Juliet. You really, you, you really believe yeah. that Juliet and all that passion. That's fantastic. Yeah. You also started fairly early to put groups together. Um, I had a great, the great chance to see Fifty Nine Degrees North at um, the Festival Saint Sauveur. A couple really, of, okay. I think I think it's come there once yeah, or twice yeah, 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 over yeah. the years, and I often go up to the oh. festival uh, in the summer. So that's another place in a ballerina's direction mindset. You were an organizer, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, we have two months paid holiday in Sweden. Fantastic. It's fantastic, oh but... <laughs> Such a different uh, reality than North American ballerinas. Yeah, but you have to stay in shape. So all of us, what we tried to do was to go abroad and, and pay for classes, right? And then I thought, hmm, how about keeping in shape and make money instead? I mm -hmm. thought that was... Clever. <laughs> ...a better idea. So then I'd heard about this Bourneville group that Frank Anderson had put together in Denmark, and they were very successful. So I thought, I'll do something similar. Uh, also, I realized I was getting older. I was getting closer to 30, which, of course, is no age. But with 
with my scoliosis, I felt that, you know, maybe not too long. And I love to travel. So I thought if I put a group together with young, talented dancers, I can always go with them and they can dance and I can just travel. <laughs> so Fantastic. <laughs> in the beginning, I did both and it worked out really well. We started in Jacob's Pillow, 97. And it was such a hit that after that, it kept on rolling. And then I, when I became the artistic director of the Royal Swedish Ballet, uh, I gave the group an, a bank, good bank account because it was at that time a non-profitable organization. I gave it to one of the dancers who continued, and it was Johannes Oerman, who is now the artistic director right. of the Royal Swedish Ballet. That's right, that's right. And he gave it to another dancer, or we did together, to another dancer, and, uh, well... It's still, still going. It's still it's going. It's fantastic. Yes. You know, it's really interesting what's happened around the whole, I guess, um, international awareness of what's going on, particularly in Sweden. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the Nordic countries, uh, for sure, but particularly in Sweden. You were artistic director for... Six years. Six years. Did you tour much at that time, or did you see a, a great um, uh, expansion of touring during that period? I think, well, I love to travel, so I focused a lot on that. Um, uh, but it's all, of course, a matter of money. I don't know. Maybe we toured a little bit more, but we are limited because also we are part of an opera house. And uh, the opera can, when we are gone, then the opera has to sing more. So... It, it didn't always work because the singers refused. <laughs> to I don't, do I don't think our North American <laughs> audiences realize that. I, I experienced that as a presenter trying to invite companies and, of course, run into those issues. Mm -hmm. but, um, but, yeah, it is a very different reality than what mm -hmm. we live in North America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you ran the company for six years. And how was that for you? A combination of various skills? It was, uh, I've learned a lot. Why I got it was because of 59. The, the general manager, he actually asked me if I wanted to apply. And I said, wow, do you think I can manage? And he said, well, you manage this group. I'm sure you would make it. And in a way, he was right because everything I did in the group was just in small scale, uh, but the same kind of issues I had to deal with. So, but um, what was difficult was to one day be a 42-year-old dancer and the next day be the boss of your colleagues. Mm -hmm. And the first year they asked me, they, we had to cut down and I had to ask 13 of my four, former colleagues to retire early. That's, That's not easy. No. That's really not easy because you've known each other. Some of them I've known since I was nine years old. Oh, my gosh. So it was, it was not an easy start. And... Um, if I look back, maybe it would have been better that I, I would have been away for a year and then come back rather than going from this to the other. Because some people have difficulties to understand. And I don't blame them. They would go like, but I know what you think. You know, I know what you think about that person. Why is she dancing? Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, it has nothing to do with I think about them as a person. We're just looking at how they are on stage and it has nothing to do with what I think about them. As a person, mm -hmm. right? So the people I love maybe wouldn't dance and people I wouldn't love that much <laughs> mm -hmm. would dance because they were good. And, and, of course, colleagues could have difficulties to understand that. Mm -hmm. And then asking 13 of your colleagues to go, not a very good not start. Not very easy. Did, um, did they give you a particular mandate at that time for the Royal Swedish? Uh, I got a three-year contract. And and but I mean in terms of um, what they asked you to accomplish, nah, was it really. continue business as usual yeah. or was it was more or less? Of course, I had my ideas that I introduced to them. I wanted to have more more ballets created for the Royal Swedish Ballet. I think that's really important that you work with choreographers and that you 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 have a something that's special for you. Otherwise, we're just one in the crowd, which is the same way I'm thinking for Hong Kong Ballet. That you have to be, especially when you are not. Paris Opera or New York City Ballet or ABT or one of those big, 
then you, the big six. Yeah, what, what are you going to offer? You have mm-hmm. to offer something that's different. Otherwise. Again, again, I don't think a lot of people in North America realize that really every country and within those countries, many regions have ballet opera houses mm-hmm. with ballet companies. Mm-hmm. I'm always amazed when I tour around in Europe to see, you know, towns of two hundred thousand that have major ballet companies mm-hmm. in them. It's quite it's quite a different model than. Then it's more like the regional ballet network in the United States, but mm. not with the same kind of big mandate in opera houses to deliver full seasons. Right. It's a big challenge. It is. We're lucky, though, in at least in Scandinavia, that we are we are um, subsidized by the by the government with one hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Wow, that is a very different <laughs> model for sure. So it makes life easier. Well, it begs the question. It would have been hard to leave that, but yet you did. How did Hong Kong come knocking? Well, number one, I loved Stockholm, but but the union in Scandinavia is extremely strong. And it comes to a point where I realized I spent so much time discussing things that I shouldn't have to spend my time on instead of doing the artistic things. So it sort of killed my passion. What kind of things? You know, what are we going to eat in the canteen? Or can I ask the dancer directly if they can work overtime? Or do I have to go to the union and ask the union if I can ask the dancer if they can work overtime? I mean, it's on the edge of you spend your time on things that shouldn't be that complicated because basically we want the same thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, I felt that it, it killed my passion a mm. bit. So then we were touring um, as I love travel. Mm-hmm. And I've always been obsessed with Asia. I managed to arrange this tour to, to China. It was a three-week tour to China. And it was the first time the Royal Swedish went there for 40 years or something. So it was a great thing. And then we ended up in uh, Hong Kong. And I just fell in love with the city and had an idea of what I could do in that part of the world. And while I was doing the research for that, someone told me that the artistic uh, director of the Hong Kong Ballet just left. So I applied in November 2008, and in February 2009, I was hired. So I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to imagine you come from this very established, as we've just said, ballet opera house with all these traditions and union rules about what's in the canteen, and you fly across a few oceans and land in a whole other part of the world in a huge time of change mm-hmm. to run... Yet another ballet company. Mm. Do you remember how exciting and confusing and challenging that must have felt for you at the time? I mean, now you have a few years under your yeah, belt. Yeah, no, so. it was really exciting. I mean, um, yeah, coming from the Royal Swedish Opera House, which is 240-something years old, 1,000 people are employed full-time. Unbelievable. To, <laughs> to, it's a hard uh, to imagine. <laughs> yeah, to, uh, to Hong Kong, a company that is 37 or 38 years old. Uh, we are about 80 people. Um, there are advantages and disadvantages with both, and I think it's just exciting to to try different ways. But, of course, it was extremely different, and it's also a, a different culture. I come from a part of the world where ballet and dance is a natural part. We accept it. It's been there for 240 years, and and it's there. While in Hong Kong... It's a Western art form in an Asian society, and it's of course it's been there for some time, and the British has been there for a long time. But still, it's 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 different, mm-hmm. and one has to realize that when people go like, yeah, but why? But and then I always say, how many tickets would you sell of a Cantonese opera in Stockholm? And what would the answer be? Very few. 
I think so. It would take it will take time mm-hmm. before the Swedes would get used to the Cantonese opera. It's beautiful. But there's but, a know, certain exoticism with yes. work coming from Asia. Yeah. But in at least in North America, I I see that. Mm-hmm. Um, did but you didn't you wouldn't necessarily see that in Sweden. Is that what you're saying? That curiosity you, wouldn't lead to a full house. Not immediately. I think you would have to build it up. Mm-hmm. And I think the previous artistic directors, dancers, board members, you, sponsors of Hong Kong Ballet has done a tremendous job getting us to the point where we are now, when we are one of the nine big arts companies and we get really good support from the government in Hong Kong. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. But it's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you still worrying about union issues and what teed in the no, canteen? <laughs> we don't have any union. But of course, I, coming from that background, it's in me. So of course, also I, I naturally, I care for the dancers. Their well-being, their health is of course essential for the whole company to to function. Mm-hmm. So I will always try to solve the problems, and the problems are minor. And we discuss like adults, and so far we could solve everything in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Usually it's misunderstanding. <laughs> so did you go in? Let's talk about you going in there. What did you feel you wanted to take on? I mean, there you are after six years leading one company, starting afresh, probably some of the same kinds of ideas you had had with Royal Swedish, but with a completely different group of people in mm-hmm. a completely different situation. What were your challenges then? I saw a fabulous company. The the technical standard was really high. It's about 60% or 70% dancers from mainland China. So their training is... Impeccable. Yes, (laughs) and their bodies are perfect and everything is perfect. What I felt that I was missing was um, a bit of of passion. I think in Scandinavia we we were okay, but we were never on that top, top, top level of technique. So we developed other... Other um, uh, what do you call it? other parts? I, it's other qualities. Thank you. Yes. Other qualities, and I felt that if I could give that to these dancers, they would be how do you say unbeatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it the first two years, I I really put in my efforts in talking about looking in each other's eyes and why are you doing that? I kept on asking why, and they said because it's on one two three, and I said yeah yeah yeah, I don't care if it's one two three. What do you want to say? And, and that took me, I, I think it took me two years before the dancers trusted me enough to let go. And a few of them did at one point and something happened. They really got happy and realized the difference and the others saw it. And then it was like something happened over a day and we all started to work on something different. And I think you will see that when you see the company that it's... it's. Um, to me, they are very special. Of course, I love them, so I'm not objective. But but I think they have something special. They are artists, really artists. Was it mostly a company of Asian dancers when you first went in? Because now it's quite a mix. I think I read that there's 10 different nationalities mm-hmm. represented in the company. No, it's always been a mix. And that's our uh, speciality, I would say, because we are considered as one of the five ballet companies in China. And we are the only then so-called Chinese company that has a mix. Oh, of all the others. Yeah, I think there's a small company called Suju, but they're so small, mm-hmm. so you can't really compare. But National Ballet of China or Shanghai or Shenzhen or Guangzhou, they have no a- a non-Asian dance. So again, you get to draw on so many different experiences mm-hmm. with the bodies that you're working on. That must have informed how you decided the choreographers that you wanted to bring in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and also I wanted I wanted these dancers to meet different kind of choreographers. They were used to one kind of training and one kind of, of repertoire. 
And I felt that they were ready to try something new. Um, so I introduced choreographers that I felt had something to give them, not only with their ballets, but if they would come and work with the dancers for a few days, that would give them an experience that they could keep on building on. Have you ever brought in somebody where it hasn't worked well? No. No, that's that's a very good record. Mm. <laughs> so tell me about some of that. You've acquired some pieces and you've commissioned some pieces. Mm. We've had an opportunity in Ottawa to see a bit of both with the gorgeous, gorgeous rendition of the Nacho Duato. Oh. And I know <laughs> people, my audience was just raving about that. Intermission people were abuzz. Mm. But also the beautiful Christophe Pastor work mm. and a work by a Chinese artist from the National Ballet, Li, Li, Li Jun. Li Jun. So th- that's a really interesting balance. Mm. Um, it's your That's your art as well, to put that together. How do you go about that? I'm trying to find choreographers in Asia. I think it's important that we develop them. I think it's our responsibility to develop choreographers in the region where we are, where we have our base. Of course, I would be even happier if I could develop more from Hong Kong, and I'm trying to find within our own group, and I found two choreographers for the future that I'm starting to build on that comes from, from the company. But that That's has very been, exciting. Yes, you do that through is. choreographic workshops. Yeah. and That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. So we have that yearly. And, and last year I gave two of the dancers, Yuegami and uh, Ricky Hu, a chance to create a bolero, which was amazing. Fantastic. So I will, of course, continue to, to develop them and give them more chances in order for us to have something special to, to show. But I've also found choreographers that have somehow connection to Hong Kong, even though they might not live there, like Kim Sun Chan. His base is in, in Zurich, but his family comes originally from Hong Kong. Uh, and, um, not is he the one who did Black on Black? Yes. And is that, that's not part of this tour in no. another city. No, mm-hmm. I saw that on, on video. It's a beautiful piece. Yes, really mm-hmm. nice. And then we have Lee Jun, but also Fei Bo, who is a great choreographer um, uh, working with National Ballet of China, which is the other... We, we bring it to other places. It's a more intimate. It's better on smaller stages. That's why we didn't show it here. In right. Ottawa. You're bringing it to the Joyce Theatre yes. in New York. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, that's a very big commitment. I guess if you create that opportunity for artists, then, again, you're opening the door to something that they might have never thought about. Mm-hmm. And how does it work for some of the big names, like the Nacho Duatos of the world, to come and set a work on Hong Kong Ballet or give a work to Hong Kong Ballet? It was great. Nacho's always so busy, and he usually just comes two days, and off he goes. And he came to Stockholm. Eh, Stockholm. Listen, he did that too, <laughs> but this time he came to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So he came to Hong Kong, and uh, I think he had booked two or three days. He saw these these great male dancers, and he prolonged his stay for a week. Fantastic. So I think that's a good, uh, mm-hmm. I think that proves that it was interesting for him, and we have discussed what we can do in the future. Now he's so busy, but... But he will give us something. In but I think it's mind. important to note that a lot of these things come from personal relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, from you being a dancer and a director mm-hmm. and the, the summer project, you develop those kinds of connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, we see it now with people like Nacho or William Forsyth or Yuri Killian. They don't give those ballets to just anybody anymore. No, I know. That's right. No, I'm lucky. And, and I don't know. I try to take care of my choreographers when they come. I think it's important. I try to, to see in their repertoire, what they have. And I look at my dancers and I'll try to match it so that both will be happy. It's important that the choreographer has a good experience the first time because I'm interested in building relationships. So, of course, I want them to have a good experience. Not only that, you know, we have a good time, but that in the studio they have a good 
artistic experience. And um, so far, it has worked pretty well. So, Given the issue that's being talked about uh, around female choreographers, are you finding that there are some female choreographers coming up in China, um, specifically in Hong Kong, but other places around Asia? I try to find them. There is one that's really good, but she's more into, she's more too contemporary, I think, for us. Wang Yunyun, she's based in Beijing. It's not that easy, but I'm, that's also a reason why I do these choreographic workshops, because I want to find um, the female choreographers. And a few of my Japanese girls are quite interesting. Uh-huh. So I think in the future we will see more. But, um, yeah, it will take some time. But they are there. Mm-hmm. They need to be inspired, and they are starting to, to take place. I wonder sometimes um, if part of it is that so many women have also been dancers and choreographers and the maybe more males who have become choreographers faster have left their dancing career earlier. I just wonder, it would be sort of interesting to do a bit of a trajectory around, around um, you know, what that relationship is. I mean, certainly if you go to New York these days, most of the performances that are going on not in the ballet, but most of the performances that are going on in the contemporary world are women who are choreographing and are still dancing in their own work. I've thought about that. And in Sweden, I tried to put together an evening with all female choreographers. And it wasn't so easy at the time. But I think it's changing. And uh, hopefully we will see more female choreographers. I hope that we will not choose them because they're female, because I've never liked that when I heard that, you know, you should sit in boards because you're a woman. I want to be chosen because I'm good, not because I'm a woman. Um, but And I think that, that we will see that in the future, more great female choreographers taking place because they're worth it. <laughs> exactly. And because the opportunities are there to yeah. encourage them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you're... I mean, there are a number of female artistic directors, but not as many. So you, you yourself are setting a wonderful example mm. for the dancers who are watching you and coming up behind you, which is great. But the funny thing is that the biggest enemy is when you become a female director, it's not the man. Mm. So it's that competition is, mm. is there. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm. I guess that can be, we could do some kind of psychological report yes. on that, you know, <laughs> it, like sort of the schoolyard dynamics, oh, you know, interesting. something like that. Where do you think, now you've been, again, in Hong Kong for several years, um, where does the balance happen for you between the contemporary ballet world and the classical ballet world? Not all companies can do both. I'm so thrilled in Ottawa we've had a chance to showcase both sides of that repertoire for you, but... Where do those things work together or not work together in a ballet company? And the question is, what is contemporary? Because that, that we can also debate. Where, where can we draw a line? And I think we all draw the line in different places. I agree. Uh, I'm testing. I, was, I think I was too daring the first years in Hong Kong. And then I realized that I have to change my way of programming in order for people to get used to it. I did a, an evening with just new ballets. That didn't work. That worked really good in Stockholm. Did not work in Hong Kong. Then I realized the best concept in Hong Kong is something old, something with someone famous, and something with something that's new to introduce. And then it works. So I just have to go a bit slower. But my problem is that I'm not so patient. <laughs> but I have to be. Mm-hmm. But it's true because... Um, also, I imagine within a dance company, the dancers want to dance mm. the roles of Sleeping Beauty and Romeo and Juliet, don't they? They do, and that's why they choose Hong Kong Ballet, but they choose Hong Kong Ballet because of the variety. 
And the men, for example, if you look at castrati where you have nine men, they really, really get to work. Of course, that's much more fun for them to, than to stand in a little uh, powdered wig behind a woman in Sleeping Beauty. Yes, that's true. That's, <laughs> this is true. Tell us about the Sleeping Beauty production. You brought Cynthia Harvey in to yes. do this. Tell us about that. She's, of course, very famous in her own right as a mm. former prima ballerina with American Ballet Theater, among others. What was that like? Well, it's interesting because when I was young, I used to go to New York and buy those, what do you call it, standing tickets. Yes, for eight, I, that's for eight how dollars. I survived in New York, yeah. too. SRO, we call them, yes. <laughs> and, and Cynthia was one of the dancers that I admired in many ways. And then uh, when I was going to do this, and then I, of course, heard that she's a fabulous teacher, and I tried her out as a guest teacher, and she's amazing, the way she coaches dancers and teach them. And then I thought, if I bring her to do a Sleeping Beauty... I will not only get her version, which is nice, but she will also coach my dancers in the way that I, we share the same values. So she would sort of then naturalize what I wanted. And she did. She, she was wonderful working with both the men and the women. And we kept a very good contact since she's, she's really helping us up when, out whenever we need. And she's been back a few times um, working on the piece and also coming to guest teach. She's so would you would you characterize her Sleeping Beauty as perhaps more dramatic than another production that you might have seen, giving your comments about finding that drama, finding the acting qualities in your dancers? No, it's it's traditional, but the way she works with details and the way she brings out um, feelings, because it can be quite boring, these old ballets, if they're just not done with passion and... and and, and um, timing and finesse. And I think she brought out those little things. Um, how do you sit on a chair? How do you talk to someone? How, how do you do a pot de bras? How fast? It's all about timing, isn't it? And where the focus is. Who do you look at at the time? Where do you want the, the audience to have the focus at this and this time? How do you create that? She's good at, at creating that the focus is on the right spot at the right time. And that's that's a gift, and she has that. Well, I share your passion for that balance between classical, familiar works to get the audiences um, in, but also to discover new productions, even of an, a new Sleeping Beauty, because we don't want to just con continue to see the war horses. Mm. But, you know, from our audiences in Ottawa, we see a great overlap between those who want to see Natural Duarte and those who want to see Sleeping Beauty. So that's encouraging for the future. I can't let you go without asking about all these lovely Canadian connections. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in Hong Kong Ballet, you've brought in uh, one of one of our wonderful young choreographers, Peter Quantz, and you have a couple of Canadian ballerinas. Of course, we love to, uh, we love to know more about that. Well, uh, Jessica, I found many years ago then, uh, she came from the school. I have good contact with Mavis Staines. Mm -hmm. and, At the uh, National Ballet School. Yes, mm -hmm. and she recommends... Uh, dancers that she thinks could be suitable for the Hong Kong Ballet. And, of course, she knows what she's doing, so I usually <laughs> listen to her advice. And Jessica was very young at the time, but I could really see the talent, and she has developed so nicely, and she's such an artist and such a... The way she danced, it's such a quality, and she's a great asset for, for the company. I'm really happy to have her. She's one of the, what do you call it, pillars in the company by now. Mm. And uh, Natalie is a new acquaintance, mm -hmm. and she started last year. And it's really she also has this special artistry that that I just love. And and uh, I think that's so nice when, um, what you say, East and West meet that we can learn from each other. And she contributes really there with her way of of um, just being on stage, the natural timing. 
So uh, I'm looking forward to many more years with her in the company. That's great. I, by the time um, people are listening to this interview, you may have already been in Markham, which, of course, is Jessica's hometown. So that, I'm sure, uh, was a very uh, fantastic event with uh, all of the homecoming and uh, all of her relatives celebrating her. But you've also worked, as I mentioned, with Peter Quantz, mm-hmm. a choreographer based in Winnipeg, but who is peripatetic in his, in his travels. Uh, how did you come to discover Peter's work? I don't re- I, I actually met him already when I was in Stockholm. I remember he contacted me there, and I don't remember how we got into it in, in Hong Kong, but uh, I had the possibility to commission um, one act ballet for it was a workshop, but I didn't I wasn't sure in the beginning if it was enough. I wanted something special there. So I asked him to come and do a piece like a professional, and then the others could do something else. And um, it turned out to be a beautiful piece, luminous, that we have taken all over the world, and it's appreciated wherever we go. So he was fantastic to work with, and we were very happy with that that connection. That's great. I would uh, encourage you next time you come to Canada, maybe we'll organize some auditions for you, and you can uh, come to see more of our choreographers yes. and more of our dancers. Um, I just wanted to, to um, get your sense of where... Here we are in 2016. Where's Hong Kong Ballet in the context of the Asian dance landscape or in the context of the world? Where Where is it now and where do you see it in three, four years from now by the time you come back to Ottawa, for example? I think we just sort of opened the door to the world. I think as well as when I came to Hong Kong the first time, to be honest, I'd never heard about the company. And there I come and I teach this beautiful group of dancers and I realized wow why didn't I hear about these dancers and I felt like there's so much you can do here and I feel that every day you ask me how I feel and I must admit that almost every day I go out from my door where I live and I have to pinch myself and say is this for real because I'm so happy to be there and working with these people and now I've really lost the track what you asked me from the beginning. <laughs> I was asking where it fits into yes. the Asian context in 2016 <laughs> and where you see it in no, as I say, three, four years from now. I think, I think, as I say, we just open the door. I think people start to realize that that the Hong Kong ballet is good. Uh, also, the the local audience there. I think it's important that you are out and you bring home uh, good reviews, and they will say, "Hmm, if they if they think they're good in Jacob's Pillow or in Ottawa or wherever in in other parts of the world, then they must be good. We better go and check them out. <laughs> so that's how it sort of starts. And then, of course, if we don't live up to the expectations, we are we are in trouble. But but we usually do, so that's fine. Uh, I think we hope they're start they're building a new culture dis, culture district in in Hong Kong. The government is putting in a lot of money in in uh, culture. And it's going to be called uh, West Kowloon Culture District and it's going to be 15 15 culture venues of different kinds and in this in the heart of it a huge modern museum of art. But we hope that we will have our home there in 5 years. And the time if we have that we have we will share the stage with a few other dance companies, but we will have a base, and, and then we will be able to start also to invite other companies so we can do an exchange. I think then something will really happen, but we need to be prepared, and that's what we're doing now. We're preparing with good repertoire and good dancers and opening doors to the world. That's so fantastic. Ready. I'll have to come and visit. I've never yes. been to Hong Kong, oh, and I do come. hear about some of these cultural projects. Mm-hmm. So just before I let you go, tell me, besides the fantastic company and the incredible work that you're doing there, besides the fact that we'd love to have you back at the National Arts Center before too long, Stockholm versus Hong Kong, what do you miss and what do you absolutely love? Just 
as a as a woman living in these two different places? I love Asia because of the weather. Or <laughs> Good point. In the middle of a snowstorm in Ottawa, yes. yes. It's the same weather as Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the weather. I love the dancers. I love um, the food. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, it's an easy life. We I would never be able to. I have an eleven year old son, and because you can you can have the service of helpers and maids and things. I can really focus on my son when I'm free, while before I had to do the laundry and everything like that. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an easier life. Mm-hmm. If you're working this hard, you can still have a family because you don't need to do those little things that kills women all over the world. That's very true. That's very true. Well, you are an inspiration to me and to your dancers, I'm sure, and to many people who are looking for excellent models. You just have done beautiful work with the company, and I thank you so much for your time, and I really look forward to having you back at the National Arts Centre. Thank you, and we are thrilled to be here. We really hope we can go back. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this edition of NEC Dance with Kathy Levy. Please send us your comments and questions by email at necpodcasts at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to NEC Podcasts at nec-cna.ca backslash podcasts. You can also find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at necpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Centre on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre.